Heavenly Father, we come before you on this special Sunday morning. The world takes the time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Lord, I'm thankful that we can celebrate your resurrection each and every Sunday of the year in each service our church holds. Lord, we ask that you would be with the special music, with our singing. Lord, that we would truly worship you this morning as our Savior, as our risen Lord, as the only hope for a world lost in sin. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to do work in hearts and lives. And today that we would be able to leave this place knowing we've been in the presence of the resurrected Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 25. John chapter 20. We'll get there in just a moment. And uh, if you like a title for uh, sermons, the title of this morning's message is simply, I Will Not Believe. And, of course, those were Thomas's words, and we'll read them in just a minute. But I, I want you to stop and think as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And I uh, met a man on the street yesterday, and he says, well, my Lord rose almost... Uh, 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 or, no, my Lord will rise from the dead tomorrow. I said, my Lord rose almost 2,000 years ago, and he's never going to die again. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, we're not parsing words here. He is risen. And if you will stop and believe and understand one thing, this book called the Bible is simply full of fantastic stories, is it not? I mean, stories that are beyond human comprehension. Stories that defy the greatest reasoning minds that man has ever produced. It says, God said, let there be light. And there was not light. And we've spent 6,000 hum- years of human history trying to figure out what light is. We can trace it and concentrate it in a laser beam and blow a hole through inches of solid steel, or we can screw a light bulb in a socket and turn on the light, and you can read your Bible in church. The same light does both things. And when God said, let there be light, all of light was there. We talk about the miracles that are in the Bible. And uh, you read some people's commentaries and they will try to explain away all the miracles. You get to the book of Exodus and start reading about the plagues in the land of Egypt. How the God picked on every Egyptian God one by one and destroyed his name and his reputation. started with the Nile River. That was a god that was worshipped in Egypt because the Nile River gave life. And God turned it to blood. They worshipped flies. Beelzebub is the god of the flies. And God filled their land with flies. I'll tell you, people are willing to believe All kinds of miracles in the Bible. But you know, every miracle that the Bible tells the story about was to draw our attention to one person. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Thomas is an interesting character. He was one of the disciples. And uh, the Bible tells us that he was also called Didymus, and, and uh, that, that word means twin. And so everybody says that Thomas had a twin, and, and he was afraid that they would arrest his twin and think it was him. And uh, everybody's got to come up with all kinds of fantastic stories. But Thomas, I'm afraid, was too much like most of us are today. And let's just read here, verse 25. That first Sunday evening, 
Jesus appeared. And, and that's one of the reasons why our church still has Sunday evening services. Is because the first real church service was Sunday evening as Jesus appeared to the disciples. The reason it was Sunday evening is because in the Jewish world, Sunday was the first day of the week. It was like our Monday. And so they had to work all day, but in the evening, Jesus appeared to those disciples. We worshiped the Lord on Sunday morning because Jesus came out of the tomb Sunday morning. So if you ever meet one of those Seventh-day people of whatever variety, and there's about 25 different varieties of Seventh-day people, oh, we should worship God on the Sabbath. No, Sabbath is a day of rest. Sunday is a day of worship. If you're resting in Jesus as your Savior, every day is a Sabbath to the New Testament Christian. Amen? That is the fulfillment of the law. That's another sermon, but let's, let's read what Thomas had to say here. Verse 25, The other disciples therefore said unto him, to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Thomas, here we go, But he said unto them, Except I shall see... In his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now I want to ask a question. Just something to think about here. How did Thomas know about the spear in the side? That was not traditionally part of the crucifixion process. In fact, that was a last-moment innovation by uh, the Roman soldier that was standing by. Because normally, crucifixion took days in order to kill its victims slow and torturously. And, and yet, they wanted to get this over with. And so they break the, broke the legs of the two thieves on each side. And then they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead. And the soldier said, well, let me just make sure. And the Bible said that he thrust the spear into the side. Now came water and blood. A, a modern-day doctor read the story here. And he said, that is absolute proof that Jesus was dead. Because there would have had to have been a rupture of the heart and the... Body fluids in the blood would have all assembled there, and after death they would have separated. The water would have come out of the blood and the fluid there as, as the process of death had set in. And he said, Jesus died of a ruptured or a broken heart. Boy, that certainly describes what our Lord went through to pay the price for our sins, does it not? But how did Thomas know about that? He wasn't there, was he? He was hiding. You know what? Most of those disciples were hiding. But they were hiding like this. They saw what happened. They knew where the tomb was. They had seen the events of that day. There was no mysteries here. Over the years, people have made up all kinds of stories trying to explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'll tell you what, you can't improve on the Bible. There was a judge about the turn of the last century, been on the bench many years, and one of the things that he had determined in his life when he retired he was going to take all of his experience handling evidence and dealing with criminals, and he was going to prove once and for all the fraudulence of the biblical record of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he was going to establish once and for all that it was just a made-up story. He was going to use the laws of evidence. How many of you know what happened to him? Wrote a book. It was called Jesus of Nazareth. And one of the most respectful attempts that Hollywood ever made of picturing Jesus was when they took that book and put it in film in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, sometime around there. 
He became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I could not controvert the evidence as presented in the Scriptures. He said, I knew how to find the flaw. I knew how to break down the lies that were invented by the most cunning criminals. He said, I understood all that. And he says, but as I went through the biblical record, it became absolutely of a certainty that everyone in the Bible was telling the truth. Except the people whom the Bible said were lying. And they were still telling the truth about their lies. Amen? You have to... You have to express what the Bible says, and yet, if I were to talk to just ten people on the street, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And they'd say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's born of the virgin at Christmas time, rose from the dead, and I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't care a lick about what the Bible says. Could I challenge you that's not belief? Could I challenge you? That's where Thomas was. He had had enough. He had had his hopes raised that Jesus would come as the Messiah, that he would remove the thing. He had seen all the miracles. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and then he watched him die. And Thomas was just a shade too human for his own good. Do you know what I mean by that? He was trusting in his own humanity. I met a man on Steinway Street yesterday, an older man in his 80s. He said, I don't believe in anything I can't see. And so I gave him my standard answer. How about all the things you can't see that you believe in? Like the law of gravity. I mean, why aren't you floating off the earth here? How about electricity? Don't stick your finger in the switch box. And, and he said, yeah, people have told me that before. And I said, I'm sure they have. And our conversation ended with this. He gave him a track, and I said, will you at least read the little track from our church? He said, I'm going to read it, but I don't want to change. I like me just the way I am. I said, one, one day you're going to have to give an account before God. He said, wouldn't you at least want to consider what God's going to demand when you stand before Him. So you, you pray for Him that He would hear the gospel and He would understand. But here's the point I want to make. The Bible is a book about believing. Is it not? All through the Bible. It's about people being willing to simply Believe God. But you know, belief ought to have consequences. Should it not? Hello? Should belief have consequences? If you believe that you have the right to murder people who do not accept your faith in your God or say things bad about your God... Should you not pay the consequences if you follow through on that belief and be punished and tried as a criminal? Would you agree with me on that? I know that's a harsh reality, but that's the world we live in today, is it not? I mean, as Andrew was giving the story in Sunday school, the events, these people who were the official keepers of the commandments of God, were meeting in, in secret rooms, in private meetings, planning to kill Jesus Christ. I, I think there was a commandment that says, Thou shalt not kill. And they hired false witnesses and wrote out the testimony. Uh, isn't there a commandment that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness? You see, in their mind, there was a contradiction of the Ten Commandments because Jesus said he was God. And see, they, being all wise, knew that could not be true. And that's why they have missed all the blessings that God has for those 
that believe on Him. There is an eternal hell, my friend, and it is real. And the reason Jesus suffered on the cross as He did is so that no human being would ever have an excuse. I don't know how a Calvinist looks himself in the mirror and believes in a God that purposely plans souls to live and die and go to hell. I I cannot comprehend a God of that magnitude and that amount of cruelty. A God who is the author of sin. In case you're wondering, I don't like Calvinism. It's the damnable doctrine of a medieval lawyer. I'll tell you what, I want to believe what the Bible says. And it has consequences, my friend. How many of you heard the story of the man who strung a rope across Niagara Falls? He was a tightrope walker, one of the best that ever was. And this was in the last century, 150 years ago or so, I believe the story was. And he took a wheelbarrow. And he took the tire off of the wheelbarrow so that there was a groove there in the rim where the the tire locked in. And and he put that wheelbarrow wheel on the on the groove of the rope that was strung across the falls. And he said, how many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls and come back? And of course, everybody went, yeah, yeah. And he did it. He just pushed it across. He came back. He says, now, how many of you believe that I could do that with a person in the wheelbarrow? And everybody goes, yeah, yeah. He says, who's going to get in? Tell you what, that changed the whole crowd now, didn't it? They tell the story. One little boy said, hey, mister, I'll do it. And he instructed him and said, now, you're going to have to sit very still. You can't move. And he is the only person in human history that ever got that view of Niagara Falls. Because he got in the wheelbarrow. And the man just pushed him across and came right back. Don't try that at home. It it took years and years of training before he was able to accomplish such a feat. But I want to challenge you, this Bible is about believing. Thomas, one of the disciples, said, I will not believe. Not till I can stick my hand and finger in the nail prints. Not until he pulls back his robe and I see the place where the spear went in. And I'm going to stick my hand in that cavity and then I'll believe. Wow. Say, what a, what a hard case. You know, Thomas gets a lot of criticism. How many of you have heard the phrase? Doubting Thomas, right? I mean, you, you wonder, that comes from this story in the Bible. I promise you, if you speak English, you will quote the King James Bible. It's such a part of our language. Another sermon for another day. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 for a minute. And I just want to illustrate that belief has consequences here. And we know this story, and most of us are, are, are more than willing to accept that Jesus was born and put in Bethlehem's manger. And, and it would be a harsh critic indeed that would really uh, look at the biblical record here. And even though we really have no clue as to how God did this, other than what the angel said, that the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, we're, we're willing to accept that Jesus was born without human intervention and without a human father through the mighty and unseen hand of God. And in verse 18 of chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, 
before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. Now, verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Can I tell you that Joseph simply... Believed God. And he did what he was told. Some wonder, why was Joseph and Mary chosen? They were chosen by God because he knew that they would obey him. Amen? They knew that he would follow through. God didn't make Joseph a robot. He knew that Joseph had that faith that would simply obey God. But even as the angels spoke unto him, what was there? that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Could I challenge you, if you're going to believe something, it better be written down in this book. That the angel, as he was approaching Joseph, as he was bringing God's message to Joseph, brought to his mind the scripture the prophecy that had been made by Isaiah roughly 600 years before Jesus was born. Joseph would have known the Scriptures because he was a Jewish man and he attended the synagogue. Joseph did not have the Bible that he could just read. It was read in the synagogue and you listened. Boy, I'll tell you what. I'm so glad I can hold it in my hands today. Amen? You see, Joseph believed God because what God told him was in agreement with the Scripture. Joseph believed God because God's Word came to him and gave him direction. And this last one I just want to say, and I want you to be careful how you take this. But see, Joseph knew he was doing right. But here's how he knew he was doing right. It was in agreement with what was written down and with what God had revealed to him through the angels. He said, well, why, why won't God speak to me with, with an angel? If God just send an angel... Uh, Well, Andrew alluded to this in the Sunday school time. The rich man Lazarus, if one rose from the dead, if Charles Dickens' Christmas carol came true, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't convert, because the only way you will believe God is to believe what's written down in this book. And then you can know that you're doing what's right. You know, people criticize true Bible-believing Christians many times because of their <clears throat> dogmatism. You, you, you just think you're right. No, I do not think I'm right. I know I'm right. <clears throat> How can you say that? Well, if God said it in the book, am I really stepping out on nothing to say I believe what God wrote in the Bible? Is that extraordinary? Or could it be a simple childlike faith? See, children do one thing very easily when they're really little. They believe their parents. And 
And that's what Jesus meant when except you become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. How childish was it of Joseph to accept that his bride was the only one in all the history of mankind who mysteriously appeared with child had not committed some kind of sin against God and against him. Wasn't that pretty childish of Joseph to believe that? But you see, he had God's word. And he had God's word revealed to him through the angel. And Joseph just simply believed. And he took Mary to be his wife. And we went through this at Christmas, all the things that Joseph gave up so that he could simply believe God. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 12, if you would. John chapter 12. And then let's just look at verse 39. And what we'll do here is then we'll go back and get the context. It's, therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. You see, Jesus, starting in verse 27, had just explained to those that were there how he would die. In verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered, and others said an angel spake unto him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And as we read on down through there, it says, but they could not believe. It's not that they wouldn't believe. It's they couldn't believe. Now, why couldn't they believe? Because they had already made up their mind that their traditions and their quote-unquote faith was more important than what Jesus was saying. If we read on down here at the end, uh, let's uh, look at uh, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, they would not abandon the respect and adoration of their fellow man to follow Jesus Christ. And I, I will promise you, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find people will criticize you. And they will slander you. And they will say things about you that simply are not true. But I would rather follow Jesus and take the slander of a confused and unbelieving world than have the praise of a confused and unbelieving world and meet God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, believing has responsibility. Believing makes things 
happen. Believing has consequences. Believing will change things. I want you to understand here, and uh, Andrew covered it pretty well, but let's just turn to Luke chapter uh, 24 here very quickly and just illustrate uh, from the Scriptures the unbelief of the disciples. I mean, we want to criticize Thomas because he was doubting Thomas. But in verse 11, it says, And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Many people have written about the first people to see Jesus were women. And how women in Jewish society were not given the same stature of men and they were treated uh, as inferiors and, and all of these things and they tried to uh, make out somehow. I'll, I'll tell you what, women in Jewish society had one privilege that most women in our modern society do not have. And that was the privilege of being a woman. of not having to compete with men. And God used them, but these men said, they're just, you were seeing things. You wanted to see things. You don't know what you're talking about. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus said in verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. If there is any conversation that happened in the Bible that I would love to have listened to, it would have been that one. How about you? As Jesus himself started in Genesis and worked his way through the law and through the prophets, and then he got to the Psalms. Jesus must have just been quoting Scripture the whole time he was with them. Hundreds of Scriptures that Jesus fulfilled in his first time. Yet, verse 41 And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? Even after they had seen the resurrected Christ, they still didn't believe that it was him. Now, here's the question I want us to look at this morning truly. If these disciples gave up their doubt for faith in the resurrected Lord, and all but John, as far as we know, met violent deaths, deaths at the hand of people who hated their Savior, if they laid aside their doubt and fear and accepted faith and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, why won't you? Why can't we? Why can't we simply believe? Now, we'll come back to Thomas in a little bit. But could I ask you a question? I've met people over the years who say, Well, I believe the Bible except for that stuff about creation. You know, I just can't believe that. It is so unscientific. Oh, really? Don't get me started. You talk about fake science. Oh, it is absolutely absurd. Now, I know every once in a while we have some <clears throat> example of a human being that seems to prove that man may have come from animals. But how frequent is that considering the mass of humanity? Let me ask you. It is very unfrequent, is it not? 
is an extremely small percentage of mankind that tries to illustrate evolution. But I'll tell you what. If you can believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, would it really be that big of a stretch to believe that he spoke and everything out of nothing became? Hello? If you're willing to believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary without human intervention, that he lived a sinless life, Is it really that hard to believe the rest of the miracles that the Bible speaks about? I challenge you. We're never going to win the debate of truth by arguing creation, by arguing uh, uh, God's planning in, in, um, in, in, in the creation of the world. Uh, they, they talk about this. We have many of our scientists today who are not really evolutionists, but they won't believe the Bible. They won't put a name to God, but they say there's such an order in creation, it could not possibly have gotten here by chance. Well, you're moving toward honesty, but you're not there. You see, the Bible says, for without faith it is what? Impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe what? That he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, if you're going to believe in God, you've got to believe about two, you got to believe two things. One, you've got to believe that God is, and that God is good. And both of those truths are wrapped up in the story of Jesus Christ. How could God be any more good? than sending His only begotten Son, God the Son, to pay the price for our sins. I would challenge you, study, if you want to study the religions of this world, be my guest. But there is no parallel in any tradition by any people that even approaches the goodness that was experienced expressed by God in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. Do we say amen to that? You see, Jesus suffered in our place. I've met people over the years and say, well, Pastor, I, I, I know God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Uh, I'll just say this publicly so I won't have to say it in person to anyone who believes this, but that's just nothing but pride. Who in the world do you think you are that you're going to tell God that you're greater than He is? If He says He's forgiven you, who are you to deny Him that? You're going to join the people in John chapter 12 that they could not believe. Why? Because they were so busy believing in themselves that they couldn't let go and believe in God. Thomas said, I will not believe. But he did. Amen? Thomas got straightened out, and so can you. Would you believe the testimony of the disciples? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Let, let's take a moment and look at the testimony of Paul. Could we not? Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. This is Paul's testimony before Agrippa. And in verse 1 says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. And we'll skip down to uh, verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise of God made unto our fathers, 
unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Verse 8, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Now, this was Paul speaking, and he was talking to Agrippa. This was uh, the grandson or great-grandson, one of those generations of the Herod that murdered all the babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Not a really nice guy. But he was trying to befriend the Jewish people, and he was given the title of king because of his relationship to Herod, and, and uh, he was really a rotten guy. Don't. Don't study the lives of the Herods, please. Save yourself the misery. Uh, they make any modern soap opera family look clean. Trust me. And uh, Paul asked him the question, Do you think this is a thing incredible? He said, Why should it be thought a thing incredible that God should raise the dead? And then he goes on to tell all of the things that he did and how that he hated Christ and persecuted Christ. But then he said, I met Christ on the road to Damascus. And he said, I exchanged my doubt for faith in Christ. And old Felix, the Roman governor, Festus, I'm sorry, was there. And the Roman governor said, much learning doth make thee mad. He says, you're just speaking ridiculous things. And Paul answered, look what it says here. Verse 26, For the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, verse 28, Almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, that word almost is one of the saddest words in all our Bible. That word almost is an incredible word. It plays the chords of victory and great effort rewarded only to sound the wail of defeat and coming disaster. Almost. Almost. Almost Agrippa turned from his unbelief and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But almost will not get you across the bar. The Bible talks about those that believe but not to the saving of the soul. Those who are willing to accept a Jesus and willing to talk about Him, but they're not willing to accept the consequences of actually believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd hope and pray that most of you are in church this morning because you believe enough on the Lord Jesus Christ to come to a church that preaches the Bible. That tells the story of Jesus. I want you to turn back with me to John chapter 20, if you would. And in verse 26 here, we'll just pick up where we left off at the beginning of the sermon. Thomas said, the last phrase of verse 25, I will not believe. And after eight days, verse 26, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. 
Could we bring forth the challenge of those words of Jesus Christ uttered to Thomas a week after Resurrection Sunday? None of us have seen Jesus. Oh, I know they write songs and all of those things and everybody says, yeah, I... but we haven't seen Jesus. Only through the eyes of faith have we seen Jesus. Only through the testimony that's recorded in this book called the Bible have we seen him. But as we said, belief has consequences. I hope one of those consequences is the reason you're in church this morning. I pray that the consequences of believing in Jesus will lead you up here to a baptistry to publicly identify with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The consequences of believing in Jesus ought to bring you to unite with the fellowship of a visible local assembly where this book is taught. You know, the Great Commission had another part, the third part. It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Would there be one of us in this auditorium? Raise your hand and say, well, I've learned all things. Uh, my hand doesn't go up. I'm still learning. And I'm still teaching. And when I get old and frail and can't teach any longer, well, maybe we'll just let Andrew take over and let him keep teaching. Amen? Because the church is here to help you understand what you should believe. You see, if it's not written down, then it's not worthy of us surrendering to it. But if it is written down, then we have an obligation that if we believe in the Jesus of whom this book was written about, that we should be obedient to him. You know, there's no better way to celebrate Easter, celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, than to identify Him, with Him. You do that first by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. I am so glad to tell you there's no salvation in Open Door Bible Baptist Church. In fact, we can't help you until after you're saved. Your public testimony is baptism. As Jesus died... You go back into the water as he was buried. You go under the water and praise God you don't have to stay down for three days, just about a half a second. And then as you come out of the water, you picture the new life that Jesus Christ wants you to live. Amen? And the context for your Christianity. Study your Bible. Acts chapter 2. Revelation chapter 4. You're not going to find anything in that section of your New Testament that isn't through buying about a local church. Why? Because that's God's plan. That's what Jesus meant when he said, this church is his body. That's uh, explained by the Apostle Paul in Romans. And, and again, we're not going to go through all of that right now, but what we want to do is, you see... If you will believe what this book says about you, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you will believe what this book said about Jesus, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you'll believe this Bible when it tells you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved then you really ought not have a big problem with the miracles, creation, obeying the Lord, living for Him, letting go of the world in which we live, that our hands would be open to embrace Christ. That's the struggle of the Christian life, my friend. Thomas said, I will not believe till we met Jesus and he said, my Lord and my God. You know, most of you can remember a time in your life where you said, I will not believe. I'm not going to become one of those crazy Christians. My faith is good enough for me. Then you got reading this book and you said, now it's not. I'm, not, I'm going to believe Jesus. And he changed your life. 
Could you say amen to that? By the way, did he change it for the better? You know, God... I don't know... We, we accuse God of so many things. Like, he wouldn't be able to do a better job with your life than you can. Let me tell you something. I don't consider myself old, but I'm old enough to know better. And every good thing in my life has happened because I just obeyed the words of this book. I have no regrets about believing Jesus. Can anybody else join me with that testimony? Say amen, lift up a hand, praise the Lord. Let's, let's understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. If you will surrender to that truth, really, none of the others are that big of a deal to deal with. Thomas said, I won't believe, but Thomas also said, my Lord and my God. Don't be an Agrippa. Be like Thomas. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we're thankful that the story of Thomas is in our Bible because we can so easily identify with him and, Lord, the things that he did that were wrong. But Lord, we can also identify with him in that simple childlike faith. The Lord will never have the opportunity this side of eternity to look upon the risen Christ as Thomas did. But we can still see him through the testimony of Thomas, John, Peter, the other apostles, the Apostle Paul as well. Lord, I pray that we would gladly embrace the consequences of belief. And believe in Jesus to the point that it changes the way we live. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict in each heart and life here. Lord, we pray that if there be even one that has yet to trust you as their personal Savior, that they would be willing to let go of their traditions and their understandings and simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're still struggling. They're still attached too closely to this world. That they would believe enough to let go of those things and simply trust in Jesus for daily living. Help us, Lord, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes and leads in the hymn of invitation... If you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you'd like someone to take the Bible, let's stand together and show you what the Bible says. Just look.